Yeah, they are, they are readings that speak of incredible visions and um, indeed, as was prayed, an awareness of the glory of God at breaking into the midst of our own lives. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul focuses that, that glory of God breaking into our lives in a slightly different direction. He says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Run the race marked out for you. Keep on keeping on. Fight the good fight. Endure hardship. When you read through the New Testament, it seems it's full of all those sorts of statements. Exhortations, if you like to use the technical language. Phrases that are intended to, to spur us on, to encourage us. And the normal flow as you read through the word of God is, since God has done this for you, therefore, imitate the Lord. Therefore, be bold. Therefore, do not give up. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Words designed to encourage. But what if, what if we don't follow through? What if, in the long run, we don't measure up to these exhortations? These exhortations that the Lord so clearly puts before us. What happens then? Now today I'm not going to talk about people who, who hear the Lord and just plainly refuse to do what he says. Those who know what God wants of them, who willingly turn their back on him. I'm not discussing today the, the won't do people. But I want to talk today about those who are the want to people. For those whom the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm talking to those of us today who, who have said, yes, Lord, I want to be in the race. But when you're out there on the track, you find that the race is a marathon. And that your muscles are cramping. And your head's thumping. And you're lacking oxygen and you're ready to collapse. Or you might already be a spent heap on the side of the track. I'm talking to those of us today who have said, yes, Lord, I'll climb into that ring. I'll go the 15 rounds. But while you may be fighting fair, your spiritual opponent doesn't follow the Queensbury rules. 
And soon your fists are like lead, (coughs) your knees are buckling, and the canvas starts to look like one giant attractive white pillow. Can you recognise yourself in that picture gallery? Perhaps it's been you in the past. Perhaps it's you now. Perhaps you can see it coming just over the horizon. Your spirit's willing. Yes, Lord, I want to. But the flesh is weak. Jars of clay. I'm exhausted. I need a break. I'm drained. I'm spiritually washed out. I just can't go on. I'm talking this way today because the Bible talks this way today. In the the accounts we've been reading, we've been looking at Elijah. And it's his name that we're going to speak of today, but I suspect it could just as well be your name in that story. You share that desire to do what God wants you to do. But the mortal flesh gets tired and our spirit gets discouraged. We too could be that Elijah. And we want to know the answer. What happens? What happens if I don't measure up? What happens if I don't follow through on those exhortations? What if I don't finish the race? What if I go down for the count? What if these feeble knees collapse? Of course, Elijah, back in the Old Testament, didn't have those exhortations to read. They didn't have the the, the writings of the apostles to spur him on. But what he would have had was the godly example of men who'd walked the path of faith before him. He could look to them by the stories he would have heard. And he would have been spurned on as well. He could have looked down the pages and he could see, he could see Joseph, a great man of God. Joseph trusted God even when the whole world was turned against him. Even when he was abandoned by his own kin and sold off into foreign slavery. Even when Potiphar's wife with her curves and her silk beckons him with her moist lips and her warm perfume. Joseph stood firm. He trusts God to know the best. He rejected her advances. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And his trust in God landed him in Pharaoh's prison. On the way, though, to being Pharaoh's right hand. Joseph's word of encouragement to Elijah Elijah would have been, Trust. Trust. And while the pages are open in the Old Testament around Egypt, Elijah would have easily spied another great man of the Lord. Joseph took the people into Egypt. But you know who led them out? Moses. Moses obeyed. Perhaps more than anything else, Moses was obedient. And it especially shows when the odds were impossible. If the story of Moses had been set in 1942, it would have been Moses who'd been sent to confront Hitler 
and demanded that he freed the Jews. That would be a fair historic parallel. For what Moses did, doing what God wanted, demanding to Pharaoh, let my people go. He obeyed in the face of impossible odds. When Moses stood on the edge of the Red Sea, he effectively stood between the devil and the deep blue sea with the lives of two million people hanging on his actions, with the people clamouring to tie a white flag on his staff and surrender to the Egyptian army. But instead, Moses obeyed. He raised that staff over the waves of the Red Sea and he did it simply because he was going to be obedient to what God told him to do. Moses' word of encouragement to Elijah is obey. And we could complete the trio for Elijah must have also been aware very much of Abraham, the father of faith. The history of God's people effectively working salvation through a people begins with Father Abraham. But think of the irony of that title, Father Abraham. When God spoke to this man in his hometown and promises to make him into a great nation, Abraham didn't even have any children. We're told his wife was barren. And later on, God promises his offspring would be as uncountable as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. His body was old. His wife couldn't conceive. Yet because God promised it, Abraham was convinced that what God said, God would do. His mind was changed. His life was changed by the God of the impossible. And so Abraham's word of encouragement to Elijah would be convinced. Joseph, trust. Moses, obey. Abraham, convinced. Now, it is speculative, of course, to know whether or not those three men of the Old Testament even crossed Elijah's mind soon after the Mount Carmel challenge. But, aware, but his awareness of them, his knowledge of their walk with God, would have shaped Elijah. And if Moses, Joseph and Abraham were the heroes that he would have looked up to, if they were at the top of the tree, then where we come back into 1 Kings 19, after Mount Carmel, out in the desert, Elijah is at the very bottom. At Mount Carmel, Elijah was right up there with them. Trusting God? Absolutely. There is only one God. Follow him. Obedience? Elijah faces up to the angry King Ahab and his gaggle of false prophets. And as for being totally convinced and convicted, he knew that the God of the impossible could not only inflict a drought, but that he would defend his name with fire from heaven. That was the Mount Calm Elijah. That was before Jezebel made him public enemy number one. That was before his face was put on the posters, wanted, dead or alive. And when that was known, Elijah dropped his bundle. He picked up his feet and he ran. 
and he ran and he ran. Trusting in God, Elijah? (laughs) No way, not now. I'm putting my trust in myself. I'm trusting that I can outrun that posse that Jezebel sent after me. Trusting God? It melted away with Jezebel's murderous, toxic breath. Obeying God? Is that what you're doing now, Elijah? Out here in the desert? In verse 9, God asks him that question. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's effectively God saying to himself, explain yourself, Elijah. I've just worked through you a mighty victory. I'm turning Israel's hearts away from Baal and back to me. What are you doing? You're my man of the moment. What are you doing hiding out here in the desert, praying that you will die? Did I tell you to come out here, Elijah? And as for being convinced by the God who can do anything, note how carefully, sorry, note carefully how Elijah reacts as God reminds Elijah that God is the God, even of the gentle whisper, that he will protect his servant, that he is in control, even when the train is in the tunnel and everything is dark. Last month when we were together working through Elijah, we saw Elijah's cause of disappointment. He thought that God had failed him. He thought that God wasn't protecting him as he wanted. And we considered God's cure for disappointment. He gave Elijah a renewed vision of who God is. Elijah experienced the the rock-shattering gale. He experienced the earth-shaking quake, the scorching fireball, and then the gentle whisper. Elijah knew that he was in the very presence of God. For in verse 13, he covers up his face. He doesn't want to look upon the Lord. But does this close encounter, this, this refocused view of the Lord, change Elijah's attitude? Is he persuaded by the Lord Almighty? And the answer from the text is no. Prior to the wind and the quake and the fire and the gentle whisper, God had said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And after the wind and the quake and the fire and the gentle whisper, God asked the very same question. But Elijah's answer and his attitude doesn't change. In verse 14, he says to the Lord, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have broken down your orders and put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. The same sense of despair and discouragement is there. Elijah's crying in his beard. He's blubbering into his own belly button. He's so hurt within that he's drowning in a pity party. He's actually unable to lift up his eyes and to see the majestic, tender God who has already fed him food. He's unable to draw from that reassuring vision of who God is. 
is unable to draw the strength and the energy and the perseverance to carry on. Run the race, fight the good fight. What happens when we let God down? When we want to fight the good fight, but we collapse in the middle rounds. When we want to run the race with perseverance, but we run out of puff in the back straight. When we want to, but just can't seem to. We know that lovely verse in Isaiah. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. But what if, like Elijah, you're unable to lift up your eyes to see the Lord? What if you're so absorbed by by all the obstacles that confront you? What then? I put it to you that, that Elijah, this mighty man of God, had fallen mightily from grace. He could no longer hold his head up high with the likes of Joseph, Moses, or Abraham. You could say by his actions in 1 Kings 19, where he runs off into the desert, that he had disgraced himself. But that should confuse us. Because we then turn over into Matthew And we read there in chapter 17 that who appears from heaven to talk with Jesus at the transfiguration? It is Moses and Elijah. You see, the astounding love of our God is so great that when those who belong to the Lord fall from grace. They fall into even more grace. Let me say that again. The astounding love of our Lord is so great that when those who belong to the Lord fall from grace, they fall into even more grace. Even though Elijah sat down on the track, even though he threw in the towel, God did not throw him away. After the gentle whisper, we expect to hear Elijah say, oh Lord, forgive me. I've been a fool. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go back. I'm going to show that Jezebel that you're the boss. And then if it's what you want, I'll labor day and night and I'll preach your word up and down the countryside and help build up the people's hearts so that they can worship and honor you. But that isn't what he says. His strength isn't renewed. His death wish is still there. Yet in the blackness of this pit, in the depths of that pit, God remained the God of Elijah. Just as God remains your God when you're sat down on the track as well. 
when it's all got too hard for you. God has already sent his angels to cook not just one meal, but two meals for Elijah. God has revealed himself afresh in that still, small voice. What more can God do for this, for this bone-weary and soul-deflated servant? This is what God does. God picks him up and God carries him to the finish line. God spoon-feeds him some final instructions so that God's kingdom will continue to advance. He tells him about Elisha. And then God takes Elijah home. And when Elijah reaches heaven's gates, he would have been surprised to hear the commendation of the Lord at that point. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that will be our journey too. If we want to please the Lord, but find that we just can't climb that hill, then we're no different from Elijah. And we have the same God. We may lose the plot, but our Heavenly Father never will. And where we can't, he will finish the race by carrying us to the finishing line. He will carry us by his inexhaustible grace. Unless you're someone who's a, uh, an Ironman triathlon expert and fan, you probably would never have heard of a, of a man called Ricky Hoyt. Ricky was born in the 1960s, and when he was born through to, through, due to complications in his birth, he was born with cerebral palsy. Ricky was physically and developmentally a handicapped young man. He couldn't take care of himself in any way. Yet Ricky Hoyt has finished what only a handful of people have ever done. He completed the Hawaiian Ironman triathlon. And he went on to complete another six Ironman triathlons. That consists of a 180-kilometre bike ride, which follows a four-kilometre swim. And after that is a 42-kilometre run. How could Ricky Hoyt do that? Because of his dad, Dick. His dad would enter the water off the coast of Hawaii with his disabled son in a little dinghy. And he pulled him and swam the four kilometres in the open sea. Dick then gets out, takes Ricky out of the dinghy and places him into a bike that's been specially designed to carry his son's extra weight. And he pedals for 180 kilometres. Then he takes his son out of the bike and puts him into a cart and he then pushes him for the marathon of 42 kilometres. We are all 
Ricky Hoyts. We want to run the race with perseverance. But our weak knees give way. We want to fight the good fight, but our feeble arms droop. We want to, but in truth, we can't. We are jars of clay. Our Heavenly Father knows this. And so he carries us. We are saved by the grace of God and we are sustained into heaven by that same amazing grace. So what happens when we fail? What happens when we want to but can't? What happens when we let God down? When our frailties overcome our faithfulness? This closing phase of Elijah's life demonstrates in action the eternal truth that is written large for us in 2 Timothy 2. Listen carefully when he says, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Grapple with the grace of God. Question it. Chew over it. Engage with it. Let it grip your heart and turn it every which way. But above all, as you do that, simply bask in the grace of God and explore and enjoy all its fullness. For whether you know it or not, your heavenly dad is carrying you all the way to heaven. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to be honest and acknowledge our failings before you. Things that we want to do that we don't fulfill Things that we start, but for whatever reason, we don't finish. Challenges our Lord God that we, we undertake on your behalf, but then drop by the wayside. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to us. Faithful to yourself. Thank you, our Father, for your grace that that not only calls us into salvation, but sustains us each and every day of our lives, not just here on this earth, but eternally. Father, help us to recognise afresh that we are all in many ways flawed, broken people, that sin impacts and colours everything we do. And yet, our Lord God, you are so amazing and mighty and wonderful in your love and merciful and kind that none of that thwarts your purposes. And our Lord God, in your, in your loving care and love and mercy, 
you reach down and carry us all the way. Thank you, our Father. Amen.